God, we are a people who walk by faith. Lord, we thank you for uh, giving us eyes to see you. God, you are the lamp unto our path, a light for our feet. So God, I just pray this morning that you would take all the distractions that are in our midst. Lord, the chaos of our week behind us, the uncertainty of the week to come. God, and help us to be present right here and right now. Lord, we ask that you would watch over all those who are joining us online this morning. God, that you would just bless them and keep them. God, for our outdoors men and women in the field today, God, that you would watch over them as they work for a harvest. Lord, we thank you for the gift that we have to gather together and worship you wherever we are. And so, God, I would just pray that for your church this morning. Lord, that as we hear your word proclaimed this morning, it would be worship for us. God, and as we look over the beauty of this place, God, that we would worship you. Lord, we know, we confess your word is living and active. We say it's sharper than any two-edged sword because that's what your word tells us. So we pray, God, change us this morning. Lord, have your way with us today. Lead us, guide us, make us, mold us, that we would leave this place in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are worshiping with us for the first time. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Spring Hill, um, and uh, it's so good. It is our honor and our joy to have you in our midst today. Um, also, those of you who are worshiping online, whether here in Montana or all over the country and the world, uh, welcome, welcome. It's good to have you in worship. Um, we often say here at Spring Hill, we are a two-site church uh, worshiping as, uh, as one body, for the purpose of building authentic community in Christ. We want to be a church to call home, where relationships flourish, generations connect, and neighbors are loved for nothing less than the, the glory of God. So, uh, so welcome, welcome to you. Um, we are in the midst of this sermon series. We're really knee-deep in it now, uh, that we've been walking through. Uh, in John's gospel, we've called it, So That You May Believe, because that is why John wrote the gospel, so that we might come to have faith in Christ. And I want to talk this morning about something that I've called the art of effective wingmanship. The art of effective wingmanship. Back in World War I, the U.S. military realized that uh, they had this new technology that could give us a leg up in the fight. Um, aviation had been making major inroads for some time now, and so we began sending these airplanes overseas on reconnaissance missions. And they'd peacefully go out, they'd gather intel, and then fly back to the base. And this tactic worked really, really well because we now had home court advantage. We could suddenly see things that the enemy couldn't see. The only problem is, soon enough, the enemy caught on. They began sending their planes up into the air, and before you knew it, the skies were just as threatening as the ground. And we all know it's nearly impossible to do a recon mission when you're being shot at from behind, and so the wingman was born. A wingman's main objective is to be a force multiplier. Their purpose was to support the lead aircraft no matter what came their way. 
That might mean scanning the horizon for the the threat to come or actually engaging the enemy. But from that point forward, the wingman became a vital part of military strategy. Kendall Switzer, who is out out of town this morning, he's a faithful member of Spring Hill. Um, Kendall retired as a brigadier general. And I tell you, if you ever get a chance to sit down with, with Kendall, he can tell you stories upon stories of his time in the military. He flew countless missions overseas. He served with the Blue Angels. So I called him up this week. I said, Kendall, um, I'm going to talk about wingmanship, and I'm probably the last guy. You need to tell me how this goes. And um, the stories that he shared with me will be scattered throughout our sermon this morning, but it's hard to imagine how a human being does what our airmen do. You know, to be a wingman today means flying upwards of 1,500 miles per hour. Think about that. Kendall told me you might see something in the sky miles away, and within a second, you're on top of it. Just think of the the multitasking that's required for that job. You're not only responsible for your own airspace, you're also responsible for every aircraft in the sky, some of which are just feet from your wings and flying at the same rate of speed. So whatever maneuver the lead takes, the wingman, he has to follow them with 100% precision. I can't even comprehend that kind of high stakes game. I read this week, um, the idea of wingman actually originated on the ground hundreds of years ago. The Roman Empire was famous for deploying the exact same tactic. They'd place the infantry in the center of the battlefield, and then they would position the cavalry out on the wings. And the entire position, the entire mission of the cavalry was to protect the center men from being outflanked. And again, to fail in that endeavor was disastrous. Now here's why I bring all this up. You might not think this has anything to do with church, But by the time we're finished today, through God's word, I'm going to show us just how important this concept is in our faith. In fact, I'm going to show you that when it comes to our pursuit of Christ and his kingdom, this is the perfect definition of who we are and what we're called to do. Open up with me. We're going to look at John's gospel. We're going to read chapter 3, verses 22 all the way to 36. 22 to 36. Hear now God's word. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. 
Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So John the Baptist has been baptizing uh, these crowds in the wilderness for some time now. We might say a few months worth. And you'll remember we came across this exact same scene at the beginning of this series back in the first chapter of John's gospel. And God was clearly blessing this ministry, right? In fact, at the time, John had all the momentum in the world. People were flocking to the water's edge. They were eager to listen to John and what he had to say. They were ready to change their ways. And ministry was good. In fact, it was so good that Jesus Christ himself came to be baptized by John. God's words tells us John was this voice crying out in the wilderness, foretelling of a lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And then he met him face to face standing in the water. But then we hit the fast forward button to this morning and we find that all the momentum has suddenly changed. There's a new baptismal party in town and this time it has nothing to do with John. Instead, John's disciples learned about this new, you might say, church plant down the road. They hear about how this man, Jesus, and his followers have seemingly plagiarized John's ministry because now they're baptizing too. And the jealousy is real. Look at how this plays out in verse 22. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now, just a few verses later, we're told it wasn't Jesus who was doing the baptism, but he was actually directing his followers to do so. Meanwhile, John's upriver doing what he's always done and minding his own business. Look at this in verse 23. John was also baptizing. And so a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. In other words, an outsider has apparently witnessed these acts of purification, probably at both sites, and he has questions. And again, this is not the first time a Jewish man has brought his concerns to John's people. Back in chapter 1 of this gospel, we learned of the priests coming from Jerusalem to inquire about the rumors that they've heard of these washings happening in the wilderness. The only difference at this point is somewhere in the conversation, John's people learn they're no longer the only ones doing baptisms. Look at this in verse 26. They said to John, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. There's a new guy in town and suddenly John's disciples feel like leftovers. We've all been here before, haven't we? In some fashion or another, I think we can easily relate. I once heard it said, jealousy is counting someone else's blessings instead of counting your own. Ever had that challenge? John's disciples, they feel as though the wind has left their sails. Their insecurities are suddenly exposed. Their pride has been wounded. They want to know, what does this now mean for us in the ministry we've been leading together? 
one of the first concepts of the U.S. Air Force is that you never fly alone. They call this the rule of mutual support. As an airman, you never go into battle without a backup. It's known as checking your six. A wingman flies with you at all times to check your blind spots below and behind. And the reason for this principle is easy. In fact, I would say it's biblical. Two are better than one. Two pilots on the same mission flying for the same cause are better than one. And yet John's disciples in this particular moment would completely disagree with this. Their faithful leader is is about to lose the limelight. It seems as though the momentum that they had in their ministry is now fading. And the man who began this entire movement, the one who baptized Christ himself, has now been pushed aside for a new show in town. See, but here's the important part. That's despite the fact that John had told all of his followers this would happen from the very beginning. He had told them there is one coming whose sandal I'm unworthy to untie. So what follows is what I would call the greatest lesson on wingmanship ever given. Because John in every sense of the word is and sees himself as the wingman of Christ. And as cheesy as that might sound, once you see how this image plays out, I'm not sure we'll be able to erase it. See, because here's the number one rule of any good man or woman on the wing of their leader. This is our first point this morning. A wingman never loses sight of the mission. A wingman never loses sight of the mission. See, John's every move from the beginning of this gospel was to be in sync with the leader of his formation. Whatever the mission of Christ was, he's right with him. If Jesus pulls left, he's going left. If Jesus goes right, he's pulling right. Look at this in verse 27. John answered, a person cannot do even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I was the one sent before him. See, John knows full well why he's in the Jordan River. This isn't about him, and it never was. And while it may seem as though he was the one leading the way, he was following God's plan all along. And yet, it at least causes us to wonder, at least question, what it must have been like to be one of John's followers. To suddenly have all that wind sucked out of your sails. You ever had a season like that? You know, we all know what it is to win and what it is to be in the lead and to, to have the glory, to get the attaboy. But then there are also those seasons where no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, it seems as though someone is there still to outshine us. It's the stuff sibling rivalries are born of, yeah? It's the stuff counselors try to dig into as they discuss our family of origin, It's how staff and business cultures fall apart. It's the unspoken fractures of friendships. We're a competitive species. And it seems to me that our greatest downfall, the greatest downfall of any wingman, is pride. Because in our pride, in our jealousy, we often lose sight of the mission. I learned this week from Kendall that one of the greatest differentiators differentiators of our military, opposed to most any other military in the world when it comes to our Air Force, 
is that even a new pilot in formation has the ability to give a command of any comrade in the sky. Let me see if I can explain how this works. Um, There's two kinds of communication mid-flight. One is an informative communication, and the other one is a directive. So when the wingman sees, say, a fellow comrade in danger, they might begin with an informative. Something like, um, flock of birds, 12 o'clock. But within seconds, if for some reason they don't see an immediate response, they then have the ability to call out a directive. And with that command, even the commander must change course. Now it'll later get scrutinized and debrief. But just think about that. A system set up like that requires a life and death dose of humility and trust. Does it not? Y'all, this is one we really have to be intentional about as God's people. John's disciples, they, they lost the bigger picture. Even for just a moment, they lost the mission. They were so caught up in saving face. They were so worked up in John losing his status that they misplaced the game plan entirely. See, John was never supposed to be the lead guy. He was the wingman. He said it himself. He said, I must decrease, he must increase. One of the most important things about our church, this, this church that we call Spring Hill, is that we're a two-site community. Um, to my knowledge, uh, we are the only two-site community in this valley. And so every Sunday mornings, that means we wake up to two different gatherings with two different giftings. We're led by two different worship teams. We worship with two different crowds. We bring two different styles that automatically usher in two different individuals to Christ. If you come to Legacy, um, you can't not be seen. If you haven't been out there, you've got to go visit sometime. We, we say we're a church to call home, and if you walk into this place, you will be lucky if you leave. Because someone's having you over for lunch, or you're coming for dinner, you are immediately overwhelmed by love. It just happens in that small little sanctuary. That's who we are. And if you come to Bozeman, the same vision drives us. Here, too, we're a church to call home, right? It might feel bigger. You might have... Many people joining us streaming online. But here we ensure our children and our teens and our families, they have a a place to go where they feel safe and welcome and at home. And I would say of all the strengths of any church in this valley, our differentiator, our greatest strength is the geographical expansion of being a multi-site church. And yet we have one vision, one mission, One set of core values, and this is the most important part, we all follow and worship the same Lord. And yet the challenge for every believer in Christ, whether it's a two-site church or siblings in a household or co-workers in an office or teammates on a field, is how do we maintain the focus of the mission without getting caught up in ourselves? See, for John, it's really simple. A wingman never loses sight of the mission. And here's how we do that. This is the second point. A wingman understands their place in formation. When the president of the United States is airborne, there is no mistake who's in charge of that airspace, right? There's a reason it's called Air Force One. Because if you're the wingman, you know full well your place in the sky. 
What do you suppose would happen if instead of the two pilots covering the president on either end, they began flying the skies for their own glory? It's not that far off. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 18, the the disciples, they get into this timeless argument with Jesus. They want to know which one of us will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So Jesus invites this little child to come and sit among them. And with this child in view, he said, unless you change and become like one of these, you will never enter the kingdom. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child, they will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Just soak that in for a minute. This is an entirely different upside down concept that what Jesus really wants for us is a childlike dependence that we would humble ourselves such that only Jesus in our lives would be glorified. So whether you're in the limelight or you're behind the scenes, that doesn't matter because in any place, the mission of Christ remains that we would decrease and he would increase. And yet ego is such a fragile thing, isn't it? I mean, jealousy and pride, they go hand in hand. And if we're not careful, we'll do damage to the mission because we'll be too caught up in me. No, a wingman knows his place in formation. Look at this in verse 29. John shifts gears. The one who has the bride, he says, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at his voice. Therefore, the joy of mine is now complete. John suddenly shifts to this image of now Christ and his church. He says, okay, let's look at it this way. I'm the best man. I'm here for Jesus and his bride. Now think with me for a minute of how messed up it would be for the best friend on the day of the wedding to steal the bride away. Out at Legacy, I kid you not, somebody shouted out, it sounds like a Lifeway movie. Lifetime, I mean. We, we all know the, the informal definition of wingmen, right? It works here the exact same way. John's entire purpose as the wingman, his entire mission is to be a matchmaker to bring the people to Christ. Now, a wingman understands their place in formation. So John hears this news about the crowd shifting downriver, and John's not upset about this, not in the least bit of ways. He is celebrating it. Mission is accomplished. He says, no, now my joy is complete. Why? Because I'm just the backdrop here. I'm just the supporting role. And that brings me to my final and last point this morning, and that is that a wingman, no matter what, rejoices in the victory. And it might be somebody else's victory or it might be yours, but when we're all going after the same cause and the same kingdom and the same gospel, a wingman rejoices in victory. Two days from now, we will all watch one of the greatest traditions play out, not only in our nation, but in the world. And perhaps never in our lifetime has there been more anxiety about the outcome. We're uncertain about the future. We're concerned about the well-being of this nation. And as soon as we know the outcome to this year's election, I pray maybe by Sunday, I don't know, a few weeks later, some of us will feel completely affirmed and others of us will feel completely deflated 
That's the reality of a two-party two, uh, system. And never before has the evangelical church been more divided over an election. I don't know if you've caught on, but some of the most prominent Christians of our day are in full disagreement about who we should be voting for, who we should let lead us into the future. Now, I've made my vote. I pray you'll make yours if you haven't. But then our prayer is that God's will would be done. And here's why I bring this up. Whatever comes this week, don't get caught in the weeds. See, at some point, we've got to turn the TV off and remove the distractions and not lose that our mission never changes. Remember, the word evangelical comes from the Greek word wangelion. It means good news. It has nothing to do with politics. And here's the good news. The battle belongs to the Lord. See, John says the one who we serve is from above and therefore is above all. He bears witness and testimony that God is true. Look at this in verse 35. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. And here's what that means. A wingman, no matter what, celebrates in that victory. Let me close with this. I remember back when I was an associate pastor down in, in Houston, Texas, um, we went through a transition of senior leadership, and the church was super anxious because the founding pastor was retiring and a new pastor who we didn't know was coming on board. And I bet I got asked well over a dozen times behind the scenes, behind closed doors, how's the new guy? How's the boss? Is he treating you well? You know my response? It became a, a worship ritual for me. I would respond every time. I didn't know my boss changed. See, we must decrease. He must increase. This week as we head into a Certainly a season of more uncertainty of what we may or may not know is coming tomorrow. Don't forget the art of wingmanship. A wingman never loses sight of their mission. A wingman always remembers their place in formation. And a wingman, no matter what, celebrates the victory of Jesus Christ. On that note, same team, same mission, same gospel, same Lord. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the good news, Lord. And we don't have to be in control. We don't have to have all the answers. Lord, we don't have to be the lead, but we can play the background, God. Lord, would you help us this week? to quiet our hearts and humble ourselves such that you would be glorified? Would you help us to get out of the way of the light such that you would shine? God, wherever we find ourselves, whether it's the small mundane moments of, of every day this week, Lord, or the, the big moments of uncertainty or, or question marks or even tension or struggle with the people that we run into you, would you help us to be conduits of your grace and good news? Lord, so much that if you go left, we go left with you. If you go right, we go right too. Lord, if you go up, we go up. If you go down, we go down. Lord, keep our eyes 
focused solely on you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.